But here, if you don't know me, if I haven't met you, my name is Casey, one of the pastors here at New City Church. Um, I've, I've met with a lot of you and, uh, and talked to a lot of you, but uh, some of you, I didn't, in fact, I was, I was, you know, there's so many visitors for the, for the service. Usually the uh, first service is a little lower than the second service. I don't know what to expect at 11 o'clock. It's going to be amazing. Like, um, yeah, we're going to have to, yeah. but this is, you know, really and truly want to get to know everybody. And, uh, and if you haven't met me, I want to meet you, want to get to know you a little bit more. Um, and, and talk about what it means to be uh, part of this church and what it means to be part of God's kingdom. See, we're going through right now what's called the story. And if you haven't, if, if you're new with us, we'll try to help you catch up a little bit. We basically are going through the Bible as a, as a teaching series, um, not really a series. We're trying to, what the story is, and if you haven't gotten it, it's pretty an awesome thing. It's, a, it's an abridged version of the Bible. It takes the highlights of the, of the Bible, puts them in chronological order, and there's commentary, there's all kinds of different things. So what we're doing, we're going through that, and it's not a replacement of the Bible. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, do the, go by the Bible. No, no, no. We believe the, the Bible to be the absolute inspired, in, inerrant, complete Word of God. Amen? And so what we're doing is we're pointing people to the Scripture so that it that using the, the storybook to help people understand the scriptures better and a little bit more, kind of give people, oh, that's how that fits into the, the history and the timeline and that kind of thing. And so what we are, where we are, we went through it from Genesis. All, we finished up with Malachi. We have, on Christmas Eve service, we officially did chapter 22, which is the birth of Jesus. And then uh, last week we did Jesus starting his ministry. This week, we're going to talk about how, how Jesus is not an, not an ordinary man. And we start figuring out that Jesus is no ordinary guy that just comes into history and, and like, like any other person of history and that kind of thing. This is the Son of God. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that means next week. But this starts doing things like, like speaking with authority, speaks in parables even. And he starts talking about things like the, the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. He starts talking about the kingdom. In fact, when he starts his ministry, the first thing he says is, Repent! Now, now I, I know that a lot of times G Jesus is pictured as a as a real neat philosopher, teacher, real nice guy, kind of a kind of a person that 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 you would like to just hang out with, and he just gives us great wisdom and gives us some great things to know and live our lives by, so we can be happier. That's not Jesus. We, he does want us to have the joy that can only come from living in the will of God. But ultimately, the first thing he starts talking about is repent. Turn away from where you are. Turn away from what's going on. This is an incredible thing. He says, repent and, or repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And see, what I want to talk about today is, the, is, a, is an excerpt from Matthew 6. We're going to go in a little bit into Matthew 5. But Matthew 6 is, it, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are all about the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people believe the Sermon on, on the Mount is like a great, I don't know, great little, little tidbits of philosophy that we can live our Christian lives by a little bit better. And they, they kind of have this sanitized, uh, non-threatening way of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, we're going to tell you. This is Jesus' first public ministry sermon, the very first time that he ever spoke really publicly to a large crowd. And it's, a, it's a pretty incredible what he says. He starts off in Matthew 5 in the, in the story, page 340 to 341. He starts talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who are persecuted and slandered and all kinds of false things that are said about them because of, of me. And then when he starts saying things like blessed, this is like, this isn't like, hey, bless, you're going to get some cool stuff. This is like, God recognizes 
your name. And so somebody who's starting to speak with authority is this Jesus. And he is ultimately what he's doing on, this, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, this is what I want you to be like. Because ultimately what he's set, doing is setting the stage for a great spiritual war that we're going to be engaging in. And he is preparing us to fight it. And you can, on your app, you can fill out your, your blanks here if you want to. Or you can fill it out on the old school paper there. Totally cool. I'm old school. I kind of like it. <coughs> But what he's doing, he is setting up the stage. And this is remarkable to me because some people, we all miss this. He starts saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, yeah, that's right. He starts, he's setting this up. Ultimately, what he's talking about is this eternal victory that, that cannot be accomplished with temporary weaponry. You see kind of 0.72 miles away from here, we've got Westboro Baptist is protesting the Methodist church. There was a pastor that came out uh, as a lesbian a couple weeks ago. At the, I mean, we're, we're like the only two Protestant churches in town. So, you know, when, when that happens, it affects our whole kingdom, if you will. It affects our whole church. It affects all the people in the, in the city. And so she comes out, right? And we've got all these people that are confused. I met some people at D's Mini Mart like, what are we supposed to believe? I'm like, uh, the Bible. You know, we're supposed to do what Christ did. We're supposed to be like Christ in, in, when, when he was in human form, it's supposed to be like he was. When you start talking about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who's shacking up with a, with a guy and she's been married five times and he doesn't like condemn her and that kind of thing, but he does point it out. He's like, look, here's what it means to be a true spiritual worshiper, a true worshiper in Christ. You're going to be able to do that kind of thing. He goes, I'm the Messiah. Go and sin no more. So he calls out her sin and she goes off and she goes, Wow. That's amazing. That's the most amazing guy in the whole world. And a whole bunch of people got saved as a result. That's how we're supposed to be. Amen. Full of grace and truth. So you got these Westboro people over here, right? And they're like, oh, we hate you. God hates you. God hates you. I'm not going to say it from the stage. I don't want to get the emails. We got, you've, you've seen the signs. I don't need to repeat it, right? You got some kids in the place. My bad. But we are. God hates you. God hates you for what you're doing, right? And then you got these other group of people over here that are like, oh, that's good for you, girl. You go. That's what you should do, right? And ultimately, the Westboro people are wrong, and this side is wrong because this is all grace. Oh, no matter what you believe, it doesn't matter. This is universal, right? And then you got all the people that are uh, just, oh, poor hard nose and that kind of thing, all full of hate. They're both wrong. Amen? They're both wrong. They got the, you got, we even have a, a crowd of people that are shouting at the Westboro people this morning. They're wrong. Because they're not, there's grace and there's truth. The battle, the battle belongs to the God that we love and we serve and we submit to. See, a lot of people are asking, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to, we're supposed to fight this battle. Are we supposed to just say, stand by and do nothing? No. Are we supposed to go and protest? No. Are we supposed to go out and point a bony finger of indignation in the pastor's face? No. Not supposed to do any of that stuff. John Piper said, if you wonder about how to make war, go to the manual. Amen? See, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus establishes his authority, and he's starting to send out his warriors for this fight. And we got to fight the way God said to fight. Because he starts saying things like, you've heard it said, for example, do not commit adultery. And all the Pharisees and the religious guys were like, in, in essence, committing adultery. They were, they were di divorcing their wives more often than pagans did. It was a horrible, horrible thing that was going on. And he looks at, the, looks at the, those guys and looks at the crowd and says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. 
And they were thinking in actual deed and physical adultery. But he said, but if you have lust in your heart, right? He said, do not, do not, uh, be, do not murder. You've heard it said. But, but then he says, but I tell you. And he's establishing his authority. He's saying, he goes, listen to me. You've heard it said this, but listen to me. If you have anger with a brother in your heart, you've committed the sin of, of murder. See, Jesus is laying down the principles of how to honor God in our hearts and fight his way. This is a matter of the heart. This is not a matter of what we're supposed to do. Our hearts, if they're filled with the Spirit, will guide us. Amen. Isaiah 62, the second part, I will, I will bring this up a whole bunch. I want you to really, really take a look at Isaiah 66 too, the second part. It says, God is saying, these are the ones I look on with favor. Huh, we should pay attention to this, right? Do we want, hey, let me ask you, do we want God's favor? I, didn't, I think you're a little more enthusiasm than that. Do we want God's favor? Yes. Heck yes, we do, right? Well, maybe we should pay attention with what God says. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are what? Humble and contrite in spirit. That's some, some translations say submissive in spirit, meaning we submit to one another and ultimately to God. And tremble at my word. Read the manual. If we're not trembling at the word, man, that's so. I know some people that are kind of humble and submissive, and, and those who tremble at my word. But, but let me ask you: Are the Westboro people tremble inside the word, but are they humble and submissive? No, right? Some people are humble and submissive, but don't tremble at the word, right? God shows favor to all. The, we got to have all three characteristics in balance. It's important for us to understand that. See Matthew six. We'll get into this because this is. It's setting that stage, setting, because Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah. This is an impossible thing. Jesus actually did this. It's virtually, statistically, mathematically impossible, which is what brought me to the Lord. And then on top of that, he raised, raised from the dead after all this. But it's just, just an incredible thing. So understanding who he is in history, when you read this, you're like, wow. And the story, page 341, and starting in Matthew 6, verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, be what? Careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So a lot of people take that first part and they'll say, do not practice your righteousness in front of others. Okay, I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, if we're doing it for the reason of to do it in front of them so that they will, they will see us, right? This is what people do. They'll pray publicly. They'll do all that kind of stuff. Well, we need to, we need to all pray so that people will see us and pray. No, no, no. Man, it is a devotion to the Lord. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So kingdom weapon number one. This is how we're going to get the, the nuts and bolts of what Jesus is talking about. About how to fight this battle. Weapon number one. Desiring God's favor over the world's approval. Desiring God's favor over the world's approval. Do we understand that? It is not about getting the world to go, man, good job. Man, all this. That's what's happening, frankly, with this pastor. And by the way. I'm not going to harp on this, this, this event that's going on a whole lot more, man. Because of what's happening today, we will, um, we'll address it, obviously. But that's not going to be a, a, the center point of any message that I'll ever give. We will never, ever start, start railing against a sin. And I know that sounded hard for somebody. Well, we're never going to start railing against sexual problems or abortion or, or gay marriage or any of those other things. We're not going to start going, ah, I can't stand it. we got to turn them. Man, we're going to be... Pro-God, pro-Jesus, pro-Word. Amen? And that's how we fight. So, verse 2, when you give to the needy, 
Not if you think about giving to the needy. He starts laying down things. These are automatic expectations as a believer. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Wow, look how much they gave. They're so spiritual. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Kingdom weapon number two, a generous heart. Not, a, not an obligatory, well, I guess I got to give, got to do my tithe and everything like that. No, a generous heart. So when we give, it's not a matter of trying to give so that people will say, wow, look how much you give, that's awesome. Verse 5. And when you pray, let me, let me, let me this, is in, this is interesting. When you give to the needy, when you pray. See, it's not, it's, it's amazing, he's not asking people to do this. This is like, a, like an expectation. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, the people that are pretending to be something they're not. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be what? Seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But, everybody say but. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Remember, this is all a matter of the heart, amen? And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, right? Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Just talk to Him, man. Kingdom weapon number three, genuine prayer. Genuine prayer, not a, not a manipulative prayer, not, a, not a, a, a prayer that doesn't have a heart for the Lord. And this is an amazing thing what Jesus says right after that. He starts telling them, hey, he's setting up the stage for the model prayer. I mean, we know this model prayer by heart, man, but, but check, what out, check out what he does. This is remarkable. This, then, is how you should pray. One of the most popular verses in all of Scripture right here. And we won't break it down, and it'll blow your mind when you start realizing what Christ has done. Our. Everybody say Our. My father? No, no, no. Our father. There's, a, there's an inclusiveness. There's a body that's expected by Jesus to say, this is not my dad and it's not your dad. This is our father. Amen. Dude, we got we to gotta understand this. This is not a sense. Like, how many people do you know say, I don't really need the church, man. I, me and Joel Osteen on TV are just fine. Man, you got, you got some problems if that's the case. But, but uh. You know, understand that it is about having a body of believers around you. Guys, we cannot do this alone. We can't fight alone. There is no war that's ever been won that has, somebody has just gone out and fought by themselves. That's ridiculous, man. Same thing with the spiritual warfare. Our what? Father, which is an incredible radical departure from the judge and the smiter and the, and the, the one who was uh, the, 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 the one who was going to be judging the whole world that kind of thing it's how they perceived god at the time this is the alpha the omega the creator of heaven and the earth right our father who's this cat talking our father in heaven hallowed be your name your name is holy your name is amazing your what kingdom come 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning right now, your will, your kingdom, your, your way of doing things is not heavenly while we're here on earth. We want that, right? How many people, I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking about Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, man, freaked out, sweating drops of blood. And he's sitting there going, God, God Father, is there any way that we could do something different? Any way we could, God, like, is there another plan? That, but, but not my will, your will be done. Even Jesus was like struggling with this, right? It's like, your will be be done. And how many of us, honestly, if we're going to ask ourselves and be honest, how many of us are really wanting to live our lives by God's will, submitting ourselves to him and letting his will be done? We pray it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? But do we really mean it? Because, because a kingdom when we start thinking kingdom-minded, we, we talk about bringing kingdom to Edgerton, right? And having his kingdom, like storming the gates of hell, right? But a kingdom comes through victory over an enemy. That's how kingdoms are won. A victory over an enemy. And there is no victory over an enemy without war. See, Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full what? Armor of God, not the footy pajamas of God. Full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here's Jesus, man, his very first public ministry sermon starting to lay out. This is the weapons I want you to use. Verse 11, give us, not me, us. This is a body, our daily bread as we, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. For if, everybody say if. There's always a, as an if. If you, then I will. For if you forgive other people. Man, this is heavy. When they sin against you. How many of us are still holding grudges? I mean, I've met with people that said, I've not forgiven so-and-so from 35, 40 years, whatever it is. And they're, still, they're struggling with wondering, why, 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 can't, why won't God hear my prayers? Why do I feel disconnected? He's telling us, read the manual. For if you forgive others, other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, everybody say but. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch! It's like, it's like God is saying to us, man, why are you holding grudges against people, man? Are your standards higher than mine? Like, I'm willing to forgive you if you accept my son Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And, and you're, like, going to hold grudges against people, man? Man, that's wild. Kingdom weapon number four. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Man, check this one out. When you fast... When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. By the way, like fast, that means deny myself something? Yeah, exactly what it means, right? Something physical, something that we, we desire so that we can concentrate on God's supernatural desires for us. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. I'm fasting for the Lord, everybody. I'm so tired, so hungry. You guys pray for me, right? That's what we're talking about. 
For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. A lot of people question about fasting. I want you to jot this on your notes. The Power of Prayer and Fasting by Dr. Ronnie Floyd. Great great book. I'm going to repeat that. The Power of Prayer and Fasting. Ronnie Floyd. Kingdom weapon number five is, is fasting. There was times when Jesus was, Jesus' disciples were trying to cast out demons, right? And they couldn't do it, they couldn't do it, couldn't do it. And then Jesus had to come along and say, and do it. And he says, hey, this type of demon can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. See, it's, it's important for us to understand that he's telling us how to fight. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures where? (coughs) In heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy... This is translated, if your eyes are generous, if you are looking generously toward people, toward the world, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy, unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Kingdom weapon number six is an eternal perspective. We're not here that long. Hey, did you guys guys figure this out yet? But probably in about 100 years or so, every single one of our bodies that we're in in this room right now are going to be in the ground. Right? You ever figure that out? I mean, it's like 100% chance, except for Jesus, the only guy that ever came back from the, de- from the dead, right? Well, permanently anyway. Never, he, he's, he's eternally alive, right? And so understand, physically, we're going to be gone. And so we're sitting there holding on to the physical stuff of this world. And, and God's like, look, I got something so much greater for you, so much better for you. This eternal thing. Man, we're going to get all hung up and angry about Westboro and, and uh, you know, a gay pastor and all that kind of stuff. We're going to get all hung up on that and fired up and freaked out. No. What we're going to be is having an eternal perspective. That we're like, we're looking forward to that. I'm going to start landing a plane here in just a second. But, but he says, In verse 28, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not what? Worry. Man, I got this, guys, about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air that do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? How many of us struggle with this? What's my baby going to go? Why is she going to leave us, right? What's she going to do? She's out there by herself. She can't be a granddaddy's house. I am struggling with not seeing my baby on Sunday mornings. All right, I'm just saying, that's all right. I'm not going to worry. You will be missed here. And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow and they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, what's he saying? I tell you. That not even Solomon in all his splendor, the most wealthy of all men that to ever have lived, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, why is it which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire? Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or what shall we do? Or how are we supposed to approach this whole thing, right? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Final kingdom weapon, number seven, is the last one. It's a trust in God's provision. That's not amazing. A trust in God's provision. I'm going to leave you with this final verse. Listen to this here. But, everybody say but. But seek first. Not seek after you've figured out a couple other things that you may like better. Not if you think about it. Seek first his what? His what? His kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, I love that. Seek first his kingdom. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like understand that we, that we want the kingdom to come that will expel the enemy's kingdom out of this place. Man, the darkest spot will, will, will be lit up by the smallest of light. And we're a huge, bright light for the Lord that God asked us to fight his way with a trust in his provision and an eternal perspective and fasting and forgiveness and genuine prayer and a generous heart and desiring his favor over God, over the world's favor each and every single day. See, we are truly at war. And I want to encourage us, man. Curtis, I ain't brought this up in a long time. You can know that I'm a fan of uh, heavy metal music and rap music too, right? Everybody brace yourself. Everybody said, oh no. I think it's Hesitine that says that's God's favorite music too, so. <laughs> if you don't read your Bibles, you have no idea why that's a joke, right? You don't. And you start looking up Hezekiah. Hey, it's not even here. There's a, um, a song that was written, man, probably 15, 16 years ago now. That the, uh, I don't think I've ever said it here. I may have said it here. or It's a poem. And it's a band named Pillar. And actually... Uh, it's, it means a whole lot to me because this, you know, I was, when I first came to know the Lord, you know, I was kind of a headbanger, still kind of am. And, you know, I, I, I kept turning on to certain music and I like, ooh, that just like takes, you know, like, like I feel like I need to put a skirt on this stuff. You know, this was real wimpy to me, you know. 
And so, I, I mean, I literally, I was struggling. I'm like, I don't know if I want to tell people because I don't want to be that guy that listens to sissy music, right? And so somebody hand me, handed me this CD, and it was a pillar CD, and it was like heavy metal and rap music. I'm like, oh, heck yes. And there's one particular song on there that just, man, just got my jam. And listen to what the word is. It's a song called Guess Who's One. You can't, you can't even find it on Spotify or nothing, man. I mean, it's like an old, old heavy metal rap, which is, again, God's music. Hezekiah 9, you look it up. But it goes like this, man. I'll finish with this and just end with this. And it says, that's it. That's the last straw. You've tried so many times that I have to declare war. I'm going to change that verse. We have to declare war. We're sick of your foolish attacks, devil. Step back, we're on a one-way track, devil, to take back all the things that you stole. We're not withholding. We're rolling with the scriptures unfolding. Your time is near. And with the power of God, we're going to persevere. So go ahead. Turn up the heat. Because with this sword drawn, give me a Bible. Where's it at? With this sword drawn, you're going to feel the heat, the seat occupied to the right of our God. He's the reason why we keep our feet shot. The word of life in the form of three is given to we as artillery to abuse and bruise you. To leave you standing in a daze wondering who's who. You choose to be defeated or to be disarmed. But any way you want it, we're going to bring you harm. Because in this battle, the strong survive. We know who wins. And we're by his side. Man, he's the tower of strength and the pillar. To the hardened heart, he's the tiller. No skrilla will entice us to stay off your tail. We're going to keep fighting till God prevails. Man, because the alarm has been rung. You know, the victory dance has been done. Praise to God has been sung. The battle's over. And guess who's won? Amen? Man, God, we love you. Thank you for giving us the tools to battle your way. Thank you for showing us what it means to, to, to fight. Man, help us to stop being fighting in the flesh. Start fighting in your spirit, God. There's no need for confusion about these things. God, it's in the manual. And God, may you take that confusion away from us. And may we simply step into your story, your upper story, and align ourselves with yours. Send your son's amazing, awesome, incredible, impossible name. All God's people said, amen.